If you're looking for a snack that packs a punch, look no further than Avinola, a granola that can be taken on the go and it's so versatile that it can be eaten as a snack or as a meal. We love Avinola because of its nutritional content. Lots of granolas have a high sugar content, but not Avinola. This granola is sweetened with monk fruit, so it actually doesn't spike your blood sugar, and it's a great option for those who may be diabetic or looking for a low sugar alternative compared to other granolas. I mean, what could be better than a granola that only has one gram of sugar? Not to mention it's keto approved. So that means it's only got one gram of carbohydrates. And this is because it's made with lupini beans. And y'all, I have to tell you right now, I would have no idea this wasn't made from a grain because it tastes so good. So go grab yourself a bag of Avinola at avi-foods.com and upgrade your granola fix right now. Use our code PILOTSPANDEMIC for 15% off your first order. Hey, my name's Emma. Hey, my name's Maddie. And you're listening to The Pilot's Pandemic. Hey, y'all. Welcome to this week's episode of The Pilot's Pandemic Podcast. You're here with your host, Emma, and our beautiful co-host, Maddie. Hey, guys. And this week we are joined by Aaron Casey. Aaron, thank you so much for joining us. Hi, yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, and we are really appreciate you taking the time today to speak on the podcast with us. Um, and then for our audience, we just wanted you to kind of introduce yourself, um, tell us where you're at in your aviation journey, um, and why you wanted to come on the podcast. Yeah, so I am. I'm a, a student pilot. Um, I probably, unlike most of your listeners, am not looking for aviation as a career. I'm actually looking for aviation as a hobby. Um, I'm actually a a registered dietitian by trade. Um, and I I own my own practice It's called new you nutrition. Um, and that's kind of my, my first love. And I know we're going to talk about it a little bit later, but, um, pilots or being a pilot in aviation kind of just came to me as, as a hobby. And I am still a student. I'm still pre-solo and we are going to delve into some reasons to why that is. <laughs> a little yes, bit we are. We're definitely going to dive into that story of why you are in your pre-solo part of your journey. But I also kind of wanted to ask you, because Emma and I are both also in aviation for the passion, like the fun mm-hmm. of flying. It's not going to be a career for us. But I wanted to understand more why you got into aviation. Like, was there someone that inspired you or was it an event you went to? Like, what was it that got you into aviation? Yeah. Um, and I think, I think this is a question I'm still like fully trying to understand myself, but in the meantime, I love it. So I do it, but I think it's, there, there really wasn't like one person or one event. I think for me, it was kind of a compilation of things. Um, I've always loved, you know, planes and traveling. I love, you know, even just like sitting in the airport and things like that. Like I love the fact that flying through the sky can get you to places that you wouldn't otherwise be able to go. Um, and I love to travel. I love to kind of, you know, experience new culture, new places, new things. Um, so I think that kind of, you know, wanderlust is maybe what started it. And then um, for, I can't remember if it was for Christmas or a birthday, which is terrible, but it was maybe two years ago, my husband got me just like a discovery flight for a nearby flight school. And I think kind of once I was in that little Cessna 172 um, and somebody let me touch the yoke for the first time, um, I was, I was just hooked. Uh, It was, it was kind of game over from that point. I'm like, wow, this is something that I like really would like to do a lot more often. Um, And, you know, like I said, about two years later, here we are. Yeah. So you said you're pre-solo, but I kind of wanted to ask you about what your training experience has like been thus far. Are you part 61 or part 141? So yeah, I'm part 61. So my my goals start and end with a private pilot's license. I don't really have any desire to even go commercial. I'll probably do an instrument rating more for my own safety than anything else, but that's really about it. Um and, you know, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm pre-solo and just, you know, to be clear, like I started flying with a flight school in, gosh, I guess, March of this past year. So it's only been about six months. Um, but, and like I said, you know, it's a, it's a side hustle for me. So I'm only doing it, you know, very much part-time, 
Um, but my experience training, I actually switched flight schools a couple of months ago. I had a, a very negative experience with my first school. Um, it almost kind of turned me off to aviation altogether. Um, I had a, a CFI who, who frankly would, shouldn't have been a CFI. Um, he had no, no business teaching people how to do anything. Um, and kind of, it was kind of a, unfortunately, a rude awakening into kind of the ugly side of, of aviation, I think. But fortunately, since I've switched, I've, I've now got a great instructor. Things are much more consistent. Um, I am, you know, again, pre-solo for reasons we'll discuss, but I think, you know, it's, it's definitely a labor of love, <laughs> so to speak. It is, uh, it is probably one of the most challenging things I've ever done. And I've done a lot of really challenging things. And it's not so much just the challenge of like the flying of the airplane. I think actually all things considered that part's relatively easy. It's the, the emotions and the understanding of all of the concepts of ground and kind of then being able to apply them while you're also trying to fly an airplane. Um, it's, it's just a lot, um, which is exciting and challenging and rewarding and exhausting all at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it is for There's sure. No, no greater feeling. I wanted to ask you really quick and we can cut this out. And if you don't feel comfortable answering, sure. just all tell right. me. Um, I, the only reason I ask is because our episode that we did this past week was kind of really focused on CFIs that shouldn't be CFIs. Mm -hmm. Um, is there like a specific example that you could share with our audience just so they could maybe have a heads up like, hey, this isn't normal. This is reason to have concern. Sure. And I think, you know, to to be clear, the reason why I left that flight school wasn't just the CFI. Um, there were there was a kind of a variety of reasons. Um, I mean, the, the biggest was honestly just the flight school in general was very disorganized. Like I couldn't get straight answers on things like how to register for all of my ground stuff. I, you know, aircraft were going down for maintenance all the time. There was next to no communication about it. Um, and, you know, and then like the aircraft weren't available either at the times, you know, my schedule, you know, I work full time. So <laughs> I, you know, I only have like limited days and times and it's just kind of then also having the barrier of not being able to have aircraft available to you uh, was, was super frustrating. But um, for, for the CFI that I had, um, I think the, the things that for me felt very, and like, again, it's, it's not even so much just like my own you know, feelings about it. It was also a concern of safety for me, which I think probably feeds in very much to the episode you all just had. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, cause emotions in the cockpit are, are not a good thing. And, mm. um, you know, having, you know, obviously we're humans, we have emotions and we're going to talk more about that too, but I think it's important to be able to compartmentalize when you, when you are flying an airplane. Um, and, and as somebody who, you know, works, you know, has worked in healthcare, owns a business, like, you know, emotions are very much a part of my, my everyday life. And like, it's normal to feel and process them, but kind of being angry in the cockpit, um, uh, you know, making snide comments, um, uh, you know, almost like, like personal digs, um, at, at mm -hmm. somebody who's actively trying to learn something. I mean, that's just not, it's not conducive to learning. Um, it's not, and, you know, kind of coming into, you know, I think a very common frustration of many CFIs and to an extent, rightfully so, is that they feel that students, you know, a lot of students are really young. They're, they're teenagers in some cases or, or very, very young twenties. And I think a lot of times, you know, that's a, your, the age where you're still kind of figuring things out. And I think it's, it's okay to be at that age where you're still figuring things out. But I think CFIs get frustrated that they feel like maybe sometimes their students aren't taking things seriously, aren't showing up prepared, et cetera. Um, and I was kind of met with that assumption and that energy, um, which wasn't the case. And I just don't think is generally fair to anybody. I mean, even if they are showing up unprepared, I mean, that's not for you to assume. And again, I'm somebody who counsels people for a living. So it's kind of like, I can't, I would never treat a patient saying like, oh, well, you're just not doing the work. Even if they're not doing the work, my job isn't to judge them for that. My job is to ask them why. Um, and I think that's kind of the expectation I have of, of a CFI or anybody I'm paying money for a service. So um, that was kind of, that was my reasoning as well. Wow. That you explained that beautifully. Thank you so much for expanding <laughs> on that because I, I feel like I could not have said that better. That was a perfect explanation. Thank you for sharing. 
yeah of course yeah I definitely wanted to hear kind of like the backstory behind that so I'm glad to expand it on it and I myself have run into the same experience at my part 61 school which I think is kind of common I you know the planes were always down there's not enough instructors mm-hmm. and when I say enough instructors, quality instructors is what I'm talking about. And typically, if there are quality instructors, they they have an overload of student pilots on their list. I would very to. much agree to that. Yeah, so, that was definitely a big factor for me, too. Yeah. Um, and so that's kind of what led my husband and I to go down that path of getting an aircraft, too. It was like, well, if I'm learning and I'm I'm investing in this uh, and the quality instructors are going to the airlines, like, what am I going to do? Um, and now I'm so glad that Jesse and I decided to get an aircraft because now there, there's one CFI left. And I think that that can be very difficult if you're going into a part 61 school is finding those quality instructors that are going to stay around and stick with you. Um, I had five different instructors um, and only two of them were actually really well-versed in, in what to teach student pilots. Um, and they both went to the airlines, <laughs> but um, going on, I really wanted to touch on why you're stuck at the pre-solo process right now. So can you share with our audience in more t- detail, if you are comfortable, like what came up that you had to go down the special issuance pathway for your medical Yeah. So yeah, more than happy to share that story. Um, so I, um, you know, like I said, I've, I've, I've had a a career working in healthcare. I, you know, I work for myself now, but, um, it's, you know, I, I know a lot about how healthcare systems work in this country and the, the FAA process has been both eye opening and just severely disappointing. So I am stuck at pre-solo because I currently don't have a medical certificate. Um, and I think, you know, I'm basically kind of, I would, I would argue that my landings probably could still use a little polishing, but they're, they're right there. And the, the true holdup and, you know, probably unfortunately going to be a holdup for an, about an, at least another month, if not longer, um, is the the medical certificate because you can't solo until you have a, a medical certificate. Um, the reason why I do not have a medical certificate is because I was on an SSRI, which is a, a class of antidepressants. So um, I personally was on Lexapro, which is on their like approved list, um, which the the fact that it is 2023 and we have like any doubts about SSRI usage at all when they've been out for multiple decades, just like, again, it blows my mind as somebody who's like spent a career in healthcare. Um, but I think it, so anyway, I um, am... I stopped, I made the choice to stop taking the SSRI. Um, and it is still, I made that choice back in April of this year. So almost immediately after I started, immediately after I went for my medical exam and found out that it was going to be a problem, I was given the option to continue it and go down the HIMSS pathway. And I know you all have kind of done episodes about what that looks like. I personally chose to to, okay, let's just try to come off of it. And then you have to be off of the medication for 60 days, have your doctor reevaluate you and then resubmit all of that paperwork to, to the FAA, to Oakland city, um, to, for evaluation. And that's basically where we are now. It's just stuck in review. They've had it since I think August 1st, it's now October. Um, what I'm told is that that process usually takes at least three months. Um, and then there's, there's kind of about a 50, 50 shot. The, they could issue me just a regular issuance after a review of my file, or they could insist that I go down the special issuance pathway at this moment that we are recording. I don't know which way it's going to go. Yeah. I'm really sorry to hear that. And it sucks. Like I can't agree with you more when it comes to the fact that the frustrations of we've known so much about these medications for so long, the fact that there is any doubt um, or stigma surrounding it is just mind blowing. But were you aware of any of the, of the requirements of holding um, a medical? Like, did you know that this was going to be an issue for you? I did not. So I knew that, and this is part of where I get frustrated with flight schools because it feels like, like we know that this is a problem and kind of the way we you know, we, we've known as for a problem for an issue. And then like the longer and longer I kind of connect with people like you all and just, you know, people who have been through the process, even some of my CFIs, once I got 
kind of into flight school, they're like, oh yeah, you probably like just should have not told them that. And it's just like, you know, I was not warned at all. I'm filling out an application, you know, from what I understand, it's going to the federal government. I'm not looking to lie and be caught lying <laughs> to the federal government. And also, you know, in, in my opinion, I like there's nothing to hide. Like, yeah, I take Lexapro <laughs> to or took Lexapro for for my mental health. And that's something that's, you know, very commonplace and and normal. Um, but I had I had no idea. Um, I had no idea that there was I knew that there, there was a requirement for a medical. I knew that there were to an extent, some stipulations, but kind of the way that was explained to me was, you know, things like true, you know, like psychiatric breaks or like spending time in like psychiatric institutions. Um, I think one that was maybe mentioned was if you have diabetes and you're on insulin, um, those are things that would be tricky to get around, but, but nothing to the extent of, you know, cause I'm, I'm a largely healthy person. So I, I didn't foresee it being an issue. And, you know, since I've found out it has been, I mean, I've really had no support in it. Um, Oakland city is notoriously, notoriously difficult to, to deal with and to get a straight answer about anything or to even get in contact with. Um, and the, the flight school that I'm with currently my past flight school, they're both just kind of like, don't want anything to do with it. They don't want to, um, you know, assist in the process. They, even the medical examiner that I went to originally was kind of like, I have nothing to do with this. I did my part. And like, now like you're on your own, um, wow. which is, yeah. And, you know, I mean, to an extent, rightfully so, I guess there's not much he can do, but, um, there's just not many people out there who understand the process or who even want to, it's very much a kind of folks are sticking their heads in the sand. And again, I just think there's such an opportunity for flight schools to have consultants on board to help their students through this process, because it's becoming, it's a huge issue, not just for me. I mean, this is, you know, me looking into a hobby, but for anybody who's going into aviation as a career, I mean, you know, this is a huge stopping point for a lot of folks. Yeah. I think across the board, I've definitely seen this issue come up where, Females and males alike, they both going into being a student pilot, then their their next step is get their medical because that's typically what your CFI will tell you. Like you need to work on your medical because your first like check is going to be your solo and you have to have your medical to solo. But they don't really go into detail about what it what getting your medical encapsulates, you know, even just knowing between a, a first, second, and third class medical. I mean, you don't really get any education on that. Sure, and then, sure. like you said, like you know, your AME, they should be the one advocating for you. I say that all the time when people ask me questions like, oh, my AME isn't helpful. Those are the exact people who are supposed to be advocating for you. So the fact that your AME is like, I don't want to help you with this. That's a red flag for me. It's like, I need a new AME, yeah. um, but you may not have access to that. Locating a HIMS AME is actually very difficult. And they may be two or three hours away from you if you do have to get another HIMS AME. Um, so I'm glad you pointed out all of those issues because they still are top issues. I think you're not the only one facing them and they do need to be highlighted. Um, I think that is one of the issues that we have with the FAA too, is like not providing that education in the, in the very beginning for a pilot. It, it is difficult because now you're in the process and now you're really teetering on like, do I become a pilot and go through this and what's going to happen? You, like you said, you don't know, you, you don't know 50% one way or 50% the other. And, and that's very scary and like disheartening about the system in itself is like, you're second guessing yourself. And these are very normal things that you're getting help for. Um, so that's, what's frustrating too, is, I mean, I always say like, they, they punish you for your health, for taking care of your health and they shouldn't be doing that. Um, but how has like going through this process, I know it hasn't been very long, but how has it affected you? Does it weigh on you knowing you'll have to pause your progress of flying until you receive your medical? Does it weigh on you that you may not receive your medical at all? Yeah, both of those things definitely, definitely weigh on me really heavily. And I think it's, I think I might feel a little bit differently about it if it was something that I was pursuing as a career and it's just kind of, okay, this is just a stopping point, but you know, I, I may, and again, I can't speak to like how I would feel. And I'm certainly not trying to tell anybody else how they should feel if their situation is different than mine. But 
I think I, I might be like, okay, this is just a bump in the road. But for me, this is a hobby, right? Like this is something that I've really wanted to do. It's something that I've sunk a lot of money into already, but at the same time, you know, you're like a hymns and like, you know, a, a neuropsych exam. I mean, those are like upwards of like $8,000. So, I mean, that is basically almost the entirety of my training thus far and not for something that I, you know, like as a, as a dietitian, I have to pay and keep up with like registration and there's maintenance costs and things like that. So, I mean, I, again, I think I might feel slightly differently about it if it was a career for me, but as, as a hobby, it's like, I can't warrant spending the money that I've already spent. Like I could barely, you know, justify spending the money for the lessons and eventually a plane and things like that. I don't know that I can justify spending $8,000 at least in one go. And then, you know, who knows how often I'll have to be monitored, how often I'll have to pay those out of cost things. Plus, you know, I feel like at this point, it almost feels like some of my flight lessons are, and I, I hate to say it like this, but it feels like it's almost a waste of time and a waste of money because, I'm not able to take that next step. But at the same time, if I just stop flying, well, then I'm going to kind of lose those skill sets. I'm going to lose the momentum that I have thus far. So, I mean, it definitely feels like a rock and a hard place for sure. Um, and it's, and it's super frustrating and it's super disheartening and it's, it's, it's a lot of stress for, for something that was, you know, start, I started because it was supposed to be fun. Um, and, and it's a lot of stress for anybody. I mean, nobody should have to go through stress like that, even if it is something you plan to do as a career, because again, so much of the issue isn't, it isn't just the process and it isn't just that there are rules around this stuff. It's that there's no transparency, there's no clarity, there's nowhere to turn for questions or clarification or status updates it's just, it's, it's a really stressful, but also just a very frustrating process to try to navigate. Yeah. I think it's a kind of a lonely place to be honestly, cause you feel a little bit like a pariah. Um, and like you said, there's like no real place you can turn, especially, you know, if your CFI that you're talking to is super young and has no health issues, you know, how do you ask him about the special issuance process? Most CFIs have no idea what's going on with the special issuance process. Um, and typically, I just encompass the special issuance processes uh, when people ask, like, what should I expect? Well, there are three things that you can always expect, which is the FAA will not be transparent with you. You're always going to be paying upwards of $10,000, especially when it relates to your mental health. And then, you know, the time it takes is probably going to take at least 24 months to get a SSRI, SI. And that's so hard to tell people when they're first starting out as a student pilot, like, you, you really can't shit sandwich it. Like I like to say, you know, there's no packaging that up in a pretty picture because the reality of the aeromedical system is that it's terribly set up. The foundation sucks and it needs to be torn down. But for now, we just have to go through this terrible process to maybe have the chance to fly. Right. Yeah. I also liked how you touched on how are you going to justify this to yourself? Because I think there are a lot of people that feel that way, not just people who seek out their PPL for um, a hobby. I feel like that's got to be a common feeling. And I know it's a common feeling amongst a lot of student pilots because they know they're going into this. They're going to have debt. They will have student loans. And now they've started school and they can't even do what they came to school for. And you have the weight of a year to two years potentially putting you behind. How how can you justify that? When you're a young person, this society expects you to have your shit together by 22, 23 years old and have a career and be successful. How can you justify that? Um, it's really, really sad. And I'm so just thank you for pointing that out. But moving on from all of that, because I know us three, I love this conversation. We could sit here and talk about this all night, but I did want to touch on your Instagram and all of the nutritional aspects you encapsulate there. So why is nutrition important to you and has it helped you as you've gotten into aviation? Yeah. So, um, like I said, I'm, I'm a dietitian by trade. Um, that's, you know, that's my, my, my day, day bleh, my day job. Um, but I think it's, I just, I, um, Emma, one of the things you said, I think, you know, 
society expects you to have your shit together by the time you're 18. I did not have my shit together by the time I was 18. And like, just for anybody listening, I'm 36 right now. And like, even dietetics was a second career for me. So like, I made it all the way to grad school in a totally different field and then pivoted and switched. And like, that was an expensive decision, but it was also the right one for me at the time. So like, please nobody ever feel like you are like, lesser than just because you don't have your stuff figured out by the time you're 18. I didn't, I don't know a single person who did. Um, and you know, it's like, you will find the path that is right for you, which for me was, was dietetics. Um, the reason why, so I've always been kind of in like a, um, either medical or kind of like mental health era. Like when I was in college, I was thinking I was going to be a therapist. And then I almost actually went to med school. Um, but I, I stopped kind of short of that for a variety of reasons. But um, nutrition is like, I mean, first and foremost, I love food. If you talk to any dietitian, like <laughs> ask them why they got into nutrition, the, the answer is probably going to be because they love food. Um, I love food just, you know, because obviously I love eating it, but also I think it is just, it's so much more than just, you know, nutrients and macros and things like that. It is culture. It is, um, you know, comfort. It is family. It is, you know, it's so much to us as humans. And I think that's really what drove my passion for it, to be honest with you. Um, but also as, you know, as part of my mental health history, I'm in recovery for an eating disorder. Um, and that's, you know, learning about nutrition, learning what, you know, the actual science behind food, learning, um, you know, the ways in which food can benefit your body was actually a very pivotal point for me in my recovery. Um, and that's just kind of something I seek to give my patients now. I would say about 50% of my patients are eating disorder patients. Um, so that's that's a big part of that passion behind it. And that's, you know, a big part of how I, that's the platform I built the business on. Um, if you go to like any of my Instagram handles, like it says anti-diet, um, which means, you know, basically I'm not here to give you, you know, crash diets for weight loss and things like that. I'm here to give you grounded advice that's based in science. And also I'm looking to help people improve their relationship with food, um, which I think sounds kind of quirky when you first hear it, but like your relationship with food is just as important and your relationship with your body for that matter are very important relationships in your life. Um, and, and, you know, not having good relationships with either one can definitely um, you know, negatively impact you. Um, so that's kind of a lot of what my, my social platforms are designed to do. Um, that's what my business is designed to do. And as far as kind of, you know, helping with aviation, I mean, you know, we all know part of the reason why the FAA requires medicals. I mean, to, I think that the process by which they do it is stupid for lack of a better word, but I think the premise that it is necessary is totally understandable, right? I mean, it's a physical job you need, you know, to be physically well in order to do it. Um, and a lot of that comes down to nutrition. It comes down to eating well. It also comes down to, you know, sleeping well, drinking enough water. Um, and those are, you know, I, I'm not going to sit here and say, I practice everything I preach every single day, but I do, you know, I eat my vegetables. I drink water. <laughs> I try very hard to get enough sleep. And I think those are the reasons why, uh, not so much just in aviation, but as somebody who's, you know, working full-time trying to, you know, and, and working full-time owning a business is a little different than working full-time, just working full-time. Um, it's, there's just a lot more pressure, I guess. And, you know, being able to do that plus flight school, I mean, it's, it's been a lot, but I think my body and my brain has held up to it because I treat it so well. Um, yeah. so. I loved what you said about food and family, because I, I grew up cooking with my family and there's so many different meals that like, I don't know. It's just a different level of connection. My father's side of the family, they were first generation Hungarian and German. And a lot of the dishes that we made were dishes that my grandparents made for my father growing up. Um, and being able to still make those things to stay, it makes me feel so connected to my family. Same thing with my mom's side. Like they, they're from Amish country, Pennsylvania. So there's like a lot of Dutch influence, Amish influence, and making those meals makes me feel so connected to them. Um, and it really does for me, I feel like has helped me with my relationship with food because food to me is happiness. It's memories. It's 
it's a conversation and we'd all sit down and, and talk about our day. So I love that you pointed that out. Yeah. And the irony of it all is like how Emma and I met, like I was actually a health and wellness coach and personal trainer. And so when I came on this podcast before I was actually a part of it, I was talking about these things on the podcast with Emma. So um, it's kind of come full circle for me. So, and I really did love also that you pointed out, like, if you don't have your shit together by, you know, 18, I still don't have my shit together and I'm almost 35. Um, I've had many different careers. I've been a personal trainer, a health and wellness coach, a dental assistant, uh, worked at the airport. Like I've had so many jobs, but I feel like all, all of those have kind of shaped me and given me all the knowledge that I have now to now I'm podcasting with Emma. So I feel like all of these things like build you up to be where you're supposed to be in life. And I really like that you touched on that because um, if you are a young student pilot, I think a lot of times you feel like you're really lost and um, it's, it's definitely a process being an adult. And, but anyways, I also want to touch on that nutrition aspect as well, because that is something, the reason that I got into nutrition was because of my husband. I was like, wow, your diet is terrible. When I worked at the airport, all the people that I worked with, like all of our diets were so terrible. And, um, I was an athlete growing up. So I always knew that was super important to eat well. I don't think I really ate well until I took like nutrition courses and, and realized what that means. But, I think for pilots, this is something that is important that we probably really overlook, especially if you're in the airlines or you're a cargo pilot working like crazy hours. It can be really difficult to A, find good food, but also B, if you're not like getting food from like a fast food restaurant or something, affording and having the time to get good food can also be hard for pilots. So I kind of wanted to like shift and talking about young student pilots. Um, what are ways that they can like afford quality food or maybe just like finding food that is affordable for them? Because I think it's easy for us to say, yeah, eat well, but like the means that they have may not be available to them. So maybe some like quick tips about how they could, could venture out and get quality food. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, that's, that's basically what I do all day, every day, whether they're, they're young student pilots or, you know, adults who are, you know, traveling sales folk for, for a living. I mean, I, I definitely, you know, like living off of airport food is, is a challenge or even just challenge, you know, traveling to the extent to where you're not, you're home less often than you're not. Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, I think, I think it's important to recognize that health or even eating well, like doesn't have one look and there's no right way to do it. There's the way that kind of works for you and it may take some trial and error. I think one of the biggest mistakes I see people make is they think that there is an absolute right way. And if they can't do that, then they can't do any of it. So they just don't do anything. And, you know, that's, that's never going to be the winning strategy. Right. So I think, um, you know, kind of, depending on what you have access to kind of, you know, build your, the kind of the simplest terms, you know, I, I will build meal plans for people, but I'm much more about kind of teaching them to build meal plans for themselves. So kind of the simplest way I put it to people is I, I call it the rule of threes. So you want to make sure you're eating at least three times a day and you want to try to have three food groups represented at each of those eatings, whether you want to call them meals, snacks, whatever. Um, so you always want to try to have a protein source. Protein can be meat, but it can also be things like cheese, nuts, hard boiled eggs, um, even like beef jerky or things like that. I, you know, frequently have to have to drive. So you know, I always have like nuts and jerky, like in the center console of my car at all times. I feel like that's a skill you can translate to, to flying an airplane. Um, I always say, so have a protein, have a carb of some sort. So if it's like quick grab, you know, that can be something like a granola bar. It can be, um, you know, it can be chips. There's nothing wrong with things like that either. Um, you know, peanut butter and crackers or something along those lines, a cliff bar, um, those things work just fine. Um, and then um, have either a fruit or a vegetable. So, you know, if you're on the go and you can't do a salad or you don't have time for, you know, cooked veggies or things like that, then grab an apple, grab a banana, grab something or even trail mix where it's dried fruit. 
you know, those, those things are perfectly, you know, acceptable food options as, as well. Um, and I think, you know, just kind of anything you can do to kind of put intentionality to get multiple food groups represented is going to serve you well, because the, the reality is, and kind of, you know, the way we coach nutrition is you want variety as, as best you can. Um, Mm -hmm. so, you know, kind of find the, find the foods that you like, find the foods that are easy to pack, um, things of that nature. And like, you know, to, to be clear, I mean, my, I don't say this as so much as a personal plug, but you know, almost any health insurance is going to pay for you to see a registered dietitian. So like, that's something that like you probably, if you have health insurance, you probably have that benefit. There is nothing just like, there's nothing wrong with going to a therapist for regular maintenance. There's nothing wrong with taking your car in for a regular oil change. Like there's nothing wrong with going to a dietitian and saying like, Hey, I don't have any like diagnosed medical problems but I'm just having a hard time getting, getting balance into my diet. And here are the barriers. I'm, you know, a student pilot or I'm, you know, I fly with the airlines or whatever the case may be, you know, go to a professional. Like that's exactly what we're here to do. And we can take your unique set of circumstances, you know, what, you know, your schedule, your likes, your dislikes, that kind of thing. And, you know, cooking skill set, all of that. And we kind of come up with a plan together. Um, so, you know, quick tips for sure, but there's also like definitely ways to get more in depth for kind of more long-term things too. Yeah. And I also think like just navigating your nutrition when you have so many other things on your plate, especially if you're a student pilot, like aviation is like a lot to handle. Just having a dietitian to work with you can be very helpful. And I think take a lot of stress off, off your shoulders, you know, if, because taking yourself to someone who knows all of those things is much better than like trying to figure it out yourself. Yeah. yeah. Oh, exactly. And like I said, most insurance pays for it. So it's not even like a huge out. And even if we, even if your insurance doesn't, I mean, it's going to be cheaper than your medical exams. (laughs) Exactly. Or having any issues with your medical for sure. Right. True that. So where can our guests, um, like, where can we follow you and stay in touch with your journey? Because we'd all love to see you up in the air again. And I know people are going to be invested in your story and possibly want to seek out you for some assistance with some dieting stuff or just nutrition in general. So where can we find you? Yeah. So, um, so my, my business platform is just um, at new you nutrition and I'll, I'll send you guys the like how it's spelled and everything like that, but it's NU nutrition. Um, and that's the name of my business. And I also actually, uh, host a podcast myself. It's called freely nourished. Um, quick tips is kind of a frequent topic (laughs) that we, that we talk about on, on the podcast as well. So, um, and that's available on YouTube, but then also like wherever you find, wherever you find podcasts. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, And we are going to move into our fun cues just to get to know you a little better. Yes, we are. And they, I surrounded them all around like nutrition. So I love, I say, uh, (laughs) I love it. Did you see that? Okay, cool. (laughs) Awesome. All right. So what's your favorite go-to snack? I am notoriously, notoriously made fun of for this, but like, I, like, if you left me with like one food and you said like, you couldn't have any other food, like I would pick PB and J peanut butter and jelly every single time. Um, that is like hands down, probably like my go-to snack, whether it's like pre-workout, <laughs> it's breakfast, like, uh-huh. it's every meal of the day. Yeah. It's just, <laughs> it's all the things you need all in one little bundle. It really is. Emma, what about you? What is your go-to snack, girl? Ooh, it has to be like, like, a, like a not full charcuterie, but like a little charcuterie. Like just, I want a little salami. I want a little cheese and I want a little cracker. <laughs> just a little. <laughs> they make those too. And it's like a little, it's like a miniature charcuterie. And I live off of those and they really are not a meal. They are definitely a snack, but that's like my little go-to thing during the day when I can just feel myself like starting to get a little cranky. I'm like, I need some cheese and some salami. But one of the other things that I recently discovered that I absolutely love, and I have to mention just because you said peanut butter, Aaron, um, Mm -hmm. the better bar or perfect bar. I freaking love those like obsessed. Um, And yeah, I can't get enough of those. The coconut one. Oh my God to die for. Come on over, girl. Those are in my fridge. 
I know. I know. You keep them stocked. When I went to her place, I was like, this is my heaven. There were charcuterie <laughs> and perfect bars. Ooh. Yeah, that's why I was laughing a little bit to myself when you said like a small charcuterie board because I rem- I made one for Emma and it was like this massive plate and she was like, oh my God. <laughs> I do love like making little snack plates and um, just making food and making it look pretty. I don't know. It's fun yeah. for me. Um, but for me, my favorite go-to snack typically is probably chips, which is terrible, but... I just always have like a chip craving or like this month specifically has been terrible, you guys, because it's Halloween. So I've been like stocking up our little Halloween bag with candy for my husband. But of course, I'm going to eat it, too. So that has been my go to snack literally for the past three weeks is like, hmm, I want a little piece of candy. <laughs> so bad. I love it, though. I, I, I you know what? I think it's time that I go get the variety pack. I need the Dude, variety been, pack. Yes, you need like, it. Because I don't ever like indulge in candy, but I feel like having like a little mini bar or two wouldn't hurt. I like Maybe. literally never buy candy at the store, but something about the variety pack, like the mini sizes, I'm like, I need to have it. It's Halloween. We have to have like little candies around. So I definitely indulge during the Halloween season, which is fun to have. And I, I give them out too. as the professional dietitian here. I highly encourage <laughs> the eating of, of all things, mini candy. Cause I mean, you know, it's like any of those things, they come once a year. So like, just enjoy it. It's, yeah. it's there to be enjoyed. Yeah. Oh, I, I definitely used to beat myself up about like eating candy yeah. when I yeah. first started, like my, I'm like, that's just not healthy, but balance everything yep. in moderation. I've, you know, I've learned those things. Like you yep. can't just say no. Exactly. Um, but yeah, uh, and moving on yes. to the next <laughs> nutritional question. If you have to choose between apples and peanut butter or apples and cheese, which one are you picking? Oh, peanut butter all day long. I will like, <laughs> I could have guessed there, that. There are a few foods that I love more than peanut butter. Emily's got to be the apples and the cheese even though I love apples and peanut butter like I am such a cheese person Mm -hmm. I've said it once on this podcast I'll say it again my 23 me said I am genetically like built to digest cheese okay that it should be part of my diet and I'm taking it and I'm running with it all right I thought you were gonna be like it says I'm 25% cheese so (laughs) (laughs) close enough pretty much I'm also in the cheese camp just because you can eat apples and cheese separately, but you can't just like be spooning peanut butter down your mouth. I guess you can. Correct. You absolutely can. (laughs) (laughs) I just have to have something with my peanut butter. I can never just eat it on its own, but cheese and apples, that it's so good. I don't know what it is about that combo, but I just love it. I, you know, what's funny about peanut butter is peanut butter. Now that I'm starting to think about it is one of those foods where, like you said, like I have at at many a time taken my biggest spoon, gotten the biggest dollop of peanut butter and just ate that sucker because I was flying through my day. I had zero appetite. You know, like for me, if I'm really busy and I'm working like actively throughout the day, it's really hard for me to like wind down and want to eat a full meal, but I know I need the sugar and the calories and all of it just because I could feel myself declining. Um, I've done that many a time. And I really feel like peanut butter is like the ultimate lifesaver. <laughs> like it really what? is. I mean, it's got, it's got sugar, it's got protein, it's got fat. Like it's kind of, <laughs> it's I'm doing a large on the full package. Seven grams of protein for yeah. a tablespoon. Yeah. Like, hell yeah. Dang. I didn't know that, but yeah. I used to count my macros, so I not I know a lot of like protein contents of food just yeah. like recently. Yeah. <laughs> um okay, next one I have for you is what restaurant chain do you refuse to go to? Oh man, I don't I would say that anything probably Taco Bell, like not for no. <laughs> like <laughs> I don't even know that I dislike it, like the taste of it. It's more of the experience I have had as of recent is just, or not even as of recent, like the last time I was there 
is just what not happened? been good. <laughs> this is a sin. I'm just letting you know. Yeah. Red flag for you. That's fine. I understand. <laughs> <laughs> but if it counts for anything, my husband is like the biggest Taco Bell fiend. Okay. <laughs> I've heard that. So he we like balance each out. <laughs> Yeah, no, Maddie's Maddie's like half of Maddie's personality is the T-Bell. Like, <laughs> I know that's one thing that that girl just loves with her full heart is some damn Taco Bell. I mean, that's great. <laughs> I think it's funny, too, because that was my dad's favorite fast food chain. And I'll never yeah. forget the first time like I ever spent one on one time with Maddie. One of the first things we did was go to Taco Bell. And I was like, wow, this is again, full circle moment. <laughs> Yeah. yes me like, and your papa have a lot in common Emma. y'all really do <laughs> i know you're my little angel from above but i don't know what restaurant chain i refuse to go to i honestly would have to say chick-fil-a because that place is trying to poison me so many times but i still eat there i ate there just last night like you have to tell her why though well okay so one one time okay i've only knock on wood i've been really lucky i haven't gotten food poisoning a lot but the first time I ever did was from Chick-fil-A. That was a extremely scarring experience. Like still to this day, I can't bite into a Chick-fil-A chicken sandwich without like really, really looking at the meat. But last year, I believe it was last year. It was last year. Last year, I got a Chick-fil-A sandwich and I started eating the sandwich and I noticed something smelled like burnt plastic. I kind of just disregarded it because at the time I was eating at work at my work we used like a lot of different like we would solder rope and stuff so there was kind of like that smell of burnt plastic all the time we were constantly working on kayaks and things like that disregarded it I eat another two bites and I realize I'm eating plastic there's plastic in my mouth right now and I take apart the sandwich and it was like a circular piece of plastic it was literally like somebody had taken the safety seal off of a circular container like a jar and that little piece of plastic had fallen into the batter or something like that basically i was eating like fried into my chicken plastic which oh my gosh oh my god when i that tell was scar me <laughs> it it like i was irate you know what i mean because i'm like this is chick-fil-a I cannot accept this from Chick-fil-A. Basically, I like went down this whole rabbit hole with Chick-fil-A cares. And you would have thought that they would have given me like a $50 gift card or something, or at least sure. a $25 gift card. The only thing they had to offer me was either A, a free chicken sandwich, which why would I go get another chicken sandwich after y'all try to poison me? Or B, a free thing of the large Chick-fil-A sauce. Like, are you kidding me right now? Oh my gosh. At a Chick-fil-A. So I don't believe in the whole Chick-fil-A cares and the whole Chick-fil-A is holier than thou. <laughs> like they genuinely suck as an establishment. I will say their chicken nuggets are the best thing ever. I will continue to eat them. Um, yeah. So I really can't refuse a restaurant. It's bad. Like if I really like something, I'm going to keep on going no matter how terrible. That is terrifying and also super disappointing that they didn't really rectify it at all. <laughs> I know, right? Like you, I, I was kind of like hype when it happened. I'm not even gonna lie. I was like, yeah. oh, I'm about to win big today. I just hit the lottery. Like I am gonna have free Chick-fil-A for like the next year. year. Um, yeah, I knew no. you were thinking that. <laughs> That's what I would have like, thought too, though. I mean, I like, yeah, <laughs> like, all right, well, whatever. I didn't die. So at least I get free food. Literally, it's only right. But yeah, I guess uh, they Chick-fil-A cares must not care. So that's that's oh, my goodness. story. I'm really curious, Maddie, what you're going to say. <laughs> well, we've all been affected by, you know, one place or the other. But mine is Applebee's, which I don't know if you guys have those. <laughs> We did. Yes, okay. girl. I used to go to Applebee's a lot, but the Applebee's here, back when I was a dental assistant, so this is like eight years ago, it got norovirus really bad. What? And everybody knew about it. Well, one of the, the dental hygienists where I was, I was doing like um, clinical stuff with a dentist office. I wasn't yet working in the field. I was finishing up my schooling and she came in and she had norovirus no, I was like, oh, hell no, I do not want that because it's like, you know, you're you're spewing from both ends. If you have norovirus, it's not a good thing. And so I refuse to go to Applebee's now 
because of that. Like, it's not really anything they did to me. It's just that that happened. Now I'm like, oh, God, I don't know how sanitary it is. Yeah, that is. Woo. Woo. Yeah. Woo. So you've <laughs> never been back since, despite. No, their- I have not been to an Applebee's like probably for a decade. A girl, the drink deals there. Oh, but you talk about <laughs> balling out, balling out. But I-, I feel like it's kind of like Red Robin, though, like where you get like yes. your bottomless stuff. So or like I'm chilies. Sure. Yeah, like, I love chilies, girl. I love chilies. <laughs> um, <laughs> I love a TGI Fridays. I love Applebee's. I love (laughs) Olive Garden. The thing with me is consistency is key. And it's always going to be consistent because it always comes from that same little plastic container and gets microwaved and cooked exactly the same and made exactly the same. And that makes my little heart happy. (laughs) (laughs) But all right. I think next time I see Maddie, we're going to applebee's because <laughs> i need to i need to repop that cherry because applebee's is the best i the best then time. we're hitting chick-fil-a because we're supposed to be getting one in bellingham girl i'll go with you i'm getting a spicy chicken sandwich absolutely obliterating my loins but who cares it <laughs> doesn't matter you're only here once and it's for a good time so Anyways, Erin, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate you coming on and being so honest and candid about your experience because really every story does count. And I'm just, I'm keeping my fingers crossed for you. I really hope that I don't see why you wouldn't, but I really hope to see you back in the sky soon. I I appreciate you all having me so much. And I just appreciate what you all are doing with the podcast, because I mean, like you said, just every story counts but like also hearing other people's stories like gives other people one it makes you feel like you're not a leper and you're not the only one going through it but it also gives more people the courage to speak up and it's kind of only once we have that kind of like louder more unanimous voice is anything ever going to change so I appreciate the work you all are doing so much thank you thank you again Uh, That is it for this week's episode. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the show, please. It does help us out so much. And we will see y'all next week. Toodles.